The views and opinions expressed in the following paid program are those of the host, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this station, its management, or owners. The fastest hour in sports radio is here. This is the greatest moment in my life. On the Big 550 KTRS. Team sports will keep you away from temptations like rock music. It's Sports Sunday, and it starts now. Oh, my goodness. Here's Brendan Weesey. Good Sunday morning, St. Louis Sports Sunday is live here on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey with you. Seth Close is our producer this morning. Great to have you on board on this February the 18th. We're on the precipice of a St. Louis City SC Encore season. We've got college basketball inching towards March Madness and Arch Madness, for that matter, in the MVC. Blues, are they a contender? Are they a pretender? Are they somewhere in between? I know this much. Jake Neighbors is a stud and has really had his coming out party uh, basically uh, right away. The, the, the guy's been amazing. But another clunker by the Blues in a home game yesterday. They had a game like this against Columbus right before the All-Star break. And then yesterday, this is a little disconcerting now that, I mean, you, you're going to lose games. The Blues aren't that good of a team. But they've shown signs, and they've gone on these runs, and then you have a game like yesterday that is, it's just, um, it's just subpar, and it's it's not acceptable at home against a, a Nashville team that you should be able to take care of. So, a uh, bit of a bummer there yesterday, for the note for sure. You heard it on the Big Five Fifty last night. Uh, the Missouri Tigers had one of their better showings here in recent weeks, and. It shows you how bad things are that you can look at a three-point loss on the road and and have it feel like it's their best game in a month. Well, when you're 0-12 in the SEC, that's the reality of the situation. But, man, I, I just I felt really good about what the Tigers did last night, and uh, hopefully it's a sign of things to come as they, uh, as they wind down this regular season. Uh, Tremendous performance by Sean East at 25, was 12 of 12 from the free throw line. Guy was absolutely terrific. And uh, this was after missing a couple of games with that knee injury. Had to get him back. Uh, and and Tigers had a, yeah, had a 10-point lead in the second half, and uh, it evaporated very, very quickly. But they battled back again, had a chance in the final moments to tie it on what would have been a three-quarters court shot by Sean East. It, it doesn't happen. So Mizzou now 8-17, 0-12 in the SEC. Illinois fighting Illini. They win again on the road yesterday, 85-80 to against Maryland. Really soft middle underbelly of the Big Ten. Uh, just not a, not a really strong league this year outside of Illinois. Purdue, obviously. Wisconsin. And if I'm forgetting or leaving anybody else out, I don't think I am. Uh, other than that, the league has been just pretty average. Michigan State's fine. Northwestern's fine. Nebraska's fine. But like I said, soft underbelly 
after those, how I see it, top three teams. But Wisconsin had really struggled for the better part of, of, of two or three weeks. So they released the first the, the, the committee. They've done this now the last several years. They released their preliminary top 16 seeds yesterday. And Illinois came in number 15 overall. That means they'd be a four seed. I tell you what, the metrics like Illinois even more than that. I think they're trending to maybe be as high as a three. And if you win the Big Ten tournament, that would really cement that or do well in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, I think three is absolutely a possibility, and I think of a very strong possibility here for the Fighting Illini. They're top 10 Ken Palm team right now, playing tremendous basketball. I heard somebody say yesterday on uh, on one of the halftime shows, I think you know this is, to, to say Illinois is a Final Four team is not hyperbole, folks. I, I think that is absolutely the kind of team Brad Underwood has here. Might be the best team he's he's put together. I don't know if they're as deep as some of his teams a couple of years ago when you had Kofi, you had Ayu Desumu. Boy, this team is awfully fun to watch. Uh, do not sleep on the Illini. Slew lost one, a tough one at home. Friday to VCU. Golly, you think back, I heard Martin say it this week. That game used to be it, man. That was playing it on a Friday night would just be monster but how about sincere parker this guy's come to play and the billikens have, have played some good games because of it three straight 30 point games for sincere parker maybe he was the missing ingredient to this team after he missed, missed what uh two months of the season here for the billikens hey i mentioned it a second ago st louis sc they're getting ready for season number two let's do our soccer wrap-up this, this is the Soccer Wrap-Up. Brought to you by Royal Banks of Missouri and the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern. Part of Sports Sunday on the Big 550 KTRS. Matt Baker coming up with me in our next segment. And we might talk about this guy, Jao Klaus. And it was a question asked by Tom Turberman of Bradley Carnell a couple of days ago. Just what to expect from a guy that, remember, was so good last year, but he missed several months with injury. What could a season, a full season of Klaus look like? Yeah, what do you look for from any of your strikers is that they're goal threats and, you know, um, helping that they're first line of defenders, right? So, I mean, getting the shape, the organization, it all starts with him. And then, obviously, final final third moments. Today, we had some really good looks uh, in attacking transition where, you know, on another day, we, we score three or four. So um, we're really not too concerned about that because the sharpness will come every single day. Um, and, and now we're getting ready for our Champions League game and, and uh, everyone's ready to go. Bradley, talking about their uh, exhibition finale against Louisville. But I, I tell you, uh, a full season of Klaus, what could that look like? It, it would immediately alleviate any concerns about Nico Giacchini having a Nico Giochini having moved on, I can guarantee you that. And we'll continue our soccer wrap-up after this commercial break. Matt Baker, the flyover footy, our soccer contributor, is with us coming up next. Sports Sunday on the Big 550. What happened to the world of soccer this week? Let's find out on Soccer Wrap-Up on Sports Sunday. Brought to you by Royal Banks of Missouri and the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern. The Big 550. KTRS. Matt Baker, host of the Flyover Footy Podcast, is with with me now. Download their MLS season preview wherever you download your podcast, and uh, hopefully got to hear some of it last night on the Big Five Fifty. Matt, good morning. Morning, Brendan. How are you? 
I'm great. Uh, you know, so last time we spoke was, I think, a day or two before City's uh, media day and, of course, the uh, final exhibition game against Louisville. I, I got a sense Coach Bradley not too super thrilled with how they played against Louisville to round out this exhibition season. Yeah, it seemed like they made some uh, unforced errors, a few mental mistakes that uh, gave away the match, ended up being a 3-2 defeat in about 120 minutes. But it also seemed like his priorities were pretty clear in the 120 minutes, getting guys stretched out a little bit more, maybe trying some different things, some set-piece formations and getting things fine-tuned. So you always, you always look to correct what you need to going into the regular season as your final dress rehearsal. And it sounded like they had a few things they needed to work on, but other than that, and keeping in mind, you know, Edu Leuven only played 45 minutes of that 120. Joachim Nilsson didn't start at all, and we're going to have him available here in the next couple of weeks. So there's there's a lot to learn that I think this team is using in their used in their final tune-up going into the regular season. But I think the takeaway for me is guys are getting stretched out. We have almost a full complement of players: Sands, Rasmus Alm, Joachim Nilsson to start the season. And that has to be looked at as a huge positive, especially given what we're about to face in Houston and Ralph Salt Lake. Any surprise roster maneuvering that you would expect? And if it's a surprise, maybe we're not expecting it. But anything you think might jump out as a surprise Tuesday night before the Houston match in the Champions Cup? I would not be surprised to see Jose Kojima time in that game day roster and that that I say is a surprise because he's not even rostered officially by St. Louis City but this is one where you read the tea leaves you see the writing on the wall a little bit in that he spent the entire preseason with the team uh he was uh, he was there for their prep rally the pep rally down at the armory this weekend and if you look too deep into it you could see that the new away kits that were released the confluence kits you could pre-select his number 85 as a jersey option so this seems to be all but a done deal that Jose Kojima is going to land on the first team. Now, whether he stays there for the majority of the season or if it's an early season need and he sees a lot of City 2 time, you know, that has that remains to be seen. But I would not be surprised to see him at least name to a roster early on. And the same might go with Michael Wenzel. You know, he saw a lot of time with City 2 or with City, and he's rostered with City 2, but the absence of Joachim Nilsson could provide an opportunity for him to see a game day roster even if he doesn't see minutes. Other than that, I think this team has been pretty consistent throughout the preseason, and that's that's a good thing. You don't want to expect too many surprises or unexpected going into the regular season, and that's a huge benefit for City. And, and Matt, just with Champions Cup leading off the season, four matches, 11 days, I think roster construction, it looks different at the start of this season than, say, it did at the start of last season. We're a lot deeper to start this season, and you have guys who are much more familiar with the system holistically. So between the lack of overall injuries, uh, the ability to get those guys who, like Leuven and Nielsen, who they had their own preseason uh, exits and coming back and missing time, they're going to be ready to go by those back half of those four games in 11 days. And I think this, this is just a more seasoned city team. So they have more matches right off the bat than they did last year, obviously, but the ability to go into this with so few net new players to the system. When you bring back 19 players and you're only allowed to roster 30 players, that tells you a lot about what you're taking into the season with all of those players healthy. And and this is a huge opportunity for City to see what that depth can do early on. I would expect, Brendan, that we see a little rotation in these first two matches, 
But given the fact that we have a Tuesday to a Saturday, that gives you some more time to regen the players and work them back up to fitness to play in the Real Salt Lake game this weekend, the first MLS regular season match. It's that second Houston leg. It's the second week of MLS. And then if we progress to the Columbus Crew in the CONCACAF Champions Cup, you see some more rotation. But these first couple of matches, I, I, would, I would look to more of our, what Bradley Carnell views as his best 11, not necessarily a top starting 11, just who's the best form, the best fitness. And then we may see a lot more rotation in that second Houston match. I'll wind down with this, Matt, and we'll maybe be able to talk about this in greater detail later this week. But I, I played the cut before we went to the first commercial break. Klaus, right? I mean, here's a guy that missed basically half the season last year. A, a lot of the conversation, it may all be about, does this guy, is he able to play a full season? And Matt, what does that look like? Yeah, the, the good news that you have to start with is the fitness and the form. Bradley Carnell has made no shy comments about the fact that he's excited that Klaus has no restrictions, no limitations, ready to go. Everything is in as good a form as it can be for Klaus, which sounds exactly like what he had going into last season. And if you're looking to something that was a huge positive at the beginning of last season that mirrors right now, it's Klaus. He started off last season hot. And if it wasn't for his injury in April, then who knows what golden boost, golden boot conversations we might be having or had. But this season with Klaus, he provides a stability up front. We, we haven't seen a full season out of Sam Adeneron, so we don't know exactly how he's going to hold up and what his form might look like for a duration of a season. As exciting as he was to end the, end the season and the potential that he has, it's Klaus who you've seen when he's healthy, when he's fit, and in this system, he produces. That is unquestioned at this point. And that's what we have to go off of to start the year. With Klaus as that anchor up front, the possibilities are endless for the city side. Yeah, and, and again, Bradley sounded uh, very, very encouraged about where he's at, as you mentioned, and that is uh, that is great news heading into Tuesday night. Now, I mentioned at the top, Matt, you've got the MLS season preview, flyover footy. It's out. People can download it right now. I know you guys really dig in here on uh, on sort of the quadrants or, or certain sections of games going throughout the season. Yeah, we broke it down into blocks of games, just like Bradley Carnell's side did last year. They look at it as, what do we want to take away in these blocks of games? And so we use that same format to project this season. But it's more than that. This, if, if people get a chance, download Flyover Footy wherever you get it, the MLS season preview, because it looks at all of the offseason moves, everything to catch you up to where we are now, differences, changes, and then every single match we talk about this season, including a huge CONCACAF Champions Cup preview for Houston. It's an exciting start to the year, and this season is going to be one for the history books. Love it, Matt. Thanks so much. Uh, great work, and I'll look forward to talking to you later this week, and I'll see you down. Well, I may not see you, but uh, I know uh, I'll be at the park, and I know you'll be cheering them on. So I appreciate uh, appreciate all the time and enjoy that first match. We'll be there. You do the same, Brendan. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. That's Matt Baker, Flyover Footy Podcast, and one of our great soccer contributors here on the Big 550 KTRS. It's 1124. Let's take another commercial break. We've got some Tiger Tales coming up. After this break, Ben Fred with me will break down the Tigers' latest defeat, and we'll uh, we'll dig into a couple of other things as well to uh, tie together this Sports Sunday on the Big Five Fifty. Back to the Big Sports Show with Brendan and Ben Fred on the Big Five Fifty KTRS. All right, let's do some Tiger Tales on this Sports Sunday morning. The Big 550 KTRS, Brendan Weesey, welcoming in sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, 
Ben Fredrickson. Ben, I was telling you off the air here moments ago, I feel better about this Mizzou loss last night than I have in quite some time. It does continue a trend all year long. The Tigers, for whatever reason, play better on the road than they do at home. And maybe that's a decent trend heading into next season. You get Sean East back, and he immediately has his season high in scoring. And the the team comes within three points and a, a Sean East three-quarter court shot of tying the game at the Horn last night at a desperate Ole Miss team. They needed that win. That would have been a bad loss for them and their NCAA tournament hopes. But I thought the Tigers played hard, and it was been more reminiscent of how they were playing earlier this conference season and even during their tough stretch in December uh, against the likes of of Kansas and and Seton Hall and some of the losses that they've uh, suffered in a really tough portion of their non-conference slate. But, Ben, still a loss. They're 0-12 in the SEC, but I am a lot more optimistic today than I have been the last couple of weeks. Well, I think it shows you how much they were missing Sean East. Um, they, they can't win without this guy, I don't think, um, and they're having a hard enough time trying to win with him. But their worst losses of the season came when he was out with that knee injury. Um, those were the, the games against A&M and Mississippi State. They barely scored uh, anything close to what they can in those games. He comes back, and they go on the road, and they look a lot better against a Ole Miss team that we'll probably see in the NCAA tournament bracket. So um, good to have him back. He jumped right back in and looked uh, looked good, was able to get the basket. Um, still would like to see these guys shoot more threes. Uh, they only took 11 three-pointers, but uh, it's a theme that, that, that we've touched on before. The foul trouble cost them. Um, late. I know Dennis Gates isn't happy about the uh, foul calls, but the reality is they foul too much. It was a winnable game. That's encouraging because their last two had been lopsided. Um, this one hurts, though, because they had it, and they and they let it slip away on the road, and they just need one of these things to go their way, and unfortunately, they haven't been able to tilt, tilt one in their favor. Man, I'm not sure I can blame the foul shooting last night. In fact, they both go to the line 30 times. Mizzou, one of their strong stats has been their free throw shooting now it's always it always feels like especially when you're down at the dumps like the Tigers like you miss some big ones and and they have but you go 25 of 30 at the line I mean for Sean East the dude goes 12 for 12 at the line he has six assists 25 points and, and I think that to me is emblematic Ben of how the entire team played I thought they made extra passes last night and maybe that was all east and he had uh the lion's share of them but I thought they when they took shots if they shot it early in the possession they were better looks you know Nick Honor is is your one guy that you want consistently shooting from three he was three for six I felt like they didn't take the desperation bad look threes until Honor took one really late there in the second half, I, I mean, I'm on a, I'm on board with that, and I agree with you. This team, if they're going to win consistently, right now, next year, moving forward, the recipe is taking threes. But the other recipe is points in transition. They got a bunch of those last night, more than seemingly they have. They didn't turn the ball over only eight times. That's also part of the recipe from last year, and. They didn't, you know, Noah Carter, I thought late, had another one of those 
opportunities where he couldn't convert in the post, but I thought there were multiple chances where they passed out of the post and it didn't lead directly to baskets, but it led to guys moving without the ball. I thought Tamar Bates did that well. I thought Bates left some points on the floor, but uh, he still played well to me, and he was really aggressive attacking the basket. And and that, to me, Ben, felt like the first time, and you used the word connectivity, with East and Bates each really having um, decisive games, big-time games, and... You need them both playing at a high level at the same time, and maybe that's as close as we've come, certainly in a while, and East has missed those last two games. But I thought they were aggressive around the basket and not having to rely on threes that weren't good looks. Offensively, I've got very few qualms about what they did last night other than uh, that scoring drop where they're up 10, Ben, and then suddenly you blink, and it was a seven or eight point deficit. Looking up at Ole Miss, they did have another scoring drought late in that game, but they bounced back from it and still managed to make it close in the end. Yeah, they were up at halftime for the first time in a while. Um, got up double digits in the second half, fifty four forty four, I think it was, with about twelve and a half minutes left. And then Ole Miss took off um, about four minutes after that. Uh, They've 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 been having a hard time stopping runs. Um, that's been one of their their issues. I wasn't <clears throat> complaining about Missouri's ability to get to the foul line in this game. They did a good job of that. They actually matched Ole Miss. I was I was referencing Gates' theory after the game that the reason the game was decided in Ole Miss's favor was that Ole Miss shot thirty free throws, um, the bulk of which came in the second half. Um, that to me is not a uh, something that jumped out in the game that. Missouri complains about these fouls that they are called for, but they foul too much. Like these aren't fouls that are that are that are bogus calls. Right. Um, they don't really defend well, and they foul too much. So that does seem to cause them a headache in the second half of games. They actually ended with as many free throws as Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, but they but Ole Miss took most of theirs in the second half. Um, Gates continues to say. He can't predict this. That these are he doesn't he doesn't can't predict you know opponents earning fouls against his team. That's referee's discretion. I don't know, man. Your team fouls a lot, like most in the SEC, um, and it, it it it's not getting the steals that it did last season. Maybe maybe dial things back a little bit or try to play a little more sound defensively because it's a it's a problem for this team and i think the talking point of like the officials are out to get mizzou i don't think anybody's buying it including mizzou fans who are like pretty open to that suggestion usually most of the time um usually you're a bad guy if you say actually the fishing wasn't that bad um i don't think mizzou basketball fans are buying this line from dennis gates that like the officials are costing this team a bunch of games i think this team fouls too much and when you're on the road, especially in the second half, that's a problem because you are you're allowing the opponents to score points when the clock's not running. And if you have a double digit lead, the worst thing you want to do is give your opponents chance to score points when the clock's not running. So I just wish that talking point would be dropped. Um, maybe they can't fix it, but this idea that like the officials are out to get, I think it's pretty. After a game like this, which was probably their most encouraging game in a long time to hear it boiled down to the coach saying, well, the officials called too many fouls against us. That's not fair. And it's not, and it's misleading. And I think it looks for coach Gates, who usually I think does a great job of setting the message for his team. I think it looks way off. So that was, that was my, my point initially. 
the thing that I liked in this game, and I, I want to talk about it because I've talked a lot about, you know, getting some of these guys with with eligibility in the future going during this frustrating season. Yeah. I thought the I thought the young bigs were pretty good. Um and the Rebels have two seven footers. Um one of them Jamarian Sharp, um who transferred from Western Kentucky, who Missouri thought they were gonna get um at one point. Um I thought Aiden Shaw, Jordan Butler each had ten points. Um, Shaw had five rebounds, a couple steals and assists. Butler grabbed four boards, one steal. That to me was about the most encouraging two-way performance from some young forwards with time left that, that I thought we've seen collectively in a long time. The, their lines last night, Ben, you said it. And throw Ant Robinson in there too as one of the youngs that uh, that did some work. And Robinson got some, some run late in, in a clutch spot, making some free throws, drawn contact. All three of those guys collectively played fantastic. I, again, I, I I can't single anybody out last night. I mean, even Noah Carter. I mean, Noah, and quite frankly, you now Carter played with foul trouble. But 14 minutes, man, at this rate, that's about all you really need to be getting from him. And you need more time. I hope that. I hope as much as Aiden Shaw played 24 minutes, as much as Jordan Butler played, and Butler's been starting, Butler played 28. I hope their amount of time on the floor wasn't just because Carter was in foul trouble. And, and I hope they get a chance to do it again Tuesday night against Tennessee. I mean, for Shaw, 10 points, 2 of 2 from the line, 4 of 4 from the floor. He had 5 rebounds. How about 0 turnovers and 2 steals for Jordan yeah. Butler? 10 points. He was 4 of 7 from the floor. Didn't take any silly threes. 2 of 4 from the stripe. That's fine. That's not his forte. He had 4 rebounds. He did foul out of the game. Had a steal, but neither had a turnover. I thought Butler looked slick down to the post. He's still vulnerable defensively, and sometimes when they're switching, he winds up on a guard, and you, you start to get a little queasy watching that. That's not something I want to see too often. But I thought they both played with confidence and that's so important for Shaw Ben because he has he's been allergic to the basketball and we've seen when he's at his worst if he gets the ball he's immediately looking to pass out of it I thought he made uh he he had a shot a little hook shot in the lane that was to me well it shows me this guy starting to play or at least last night was playing with confidence again golly I mean I, I think we both want to see Especially, I mean, because this is Shaw's second year. We want to see that next step, Ben, and there's still time. There's still three or four weeks left in this season, including the conference tournament, where Aiden Shaw can make a step where you feel like he'll enter the offseason with confidence. And as long as he doesn't transfer out, which is always a part of the equation, unfortunately. But I, I feel like Shaw wants to he wants to make a name for himself at Missouri. He's got that scholarship in his name here at Mizzou. Man, I, I feel I, – I think we're both really invested in, in, in Aiden Shaw taking a step in. And I thought last night was his best in a long time. And the fact that it happened on the road and there was just nothing negative about his stat line, uh, that, that, that should get you fired up. I think, yeah, anything you have to point to that these guys who can be back are taking strides, that's what it's about now. It's not about anything else. And – and, and it's also about this team and coaching staff finding ways to not ignore some of these issues and not blame things that are out of their control, like the officiating, but 
start to look at ways some of these things can be improved. Um, we talked about the fouls. We've talked about the rebounding a lot this year. You mentioned it earlier, these scoring droughts. They, they go for for big chunks of time without a bucket, and that's where Ole Miss swung this game from a 10-point deficit in the first half to a game that Mizzou was clawing from behind. Finding ways to snap out of that, those three, four, minute stretches without a field goal um that that's something that that they've got to either come up with sets or come up with something or find the guy who can break the ice because it seems like um it kind of becomes a a little bit of a paralysis at times that gets worse as they go longer and longer without scoring and you start seeing some shots that that don't look like what led to them getting the lead nick honor taking you know, two early threes. Um, you got you know missed layups. The things that are a little like in their head um, that that they don't do when they're when they're when they're putting points on the board to get a lead like that. So finding ways to try to um, negate those kind of paralysis stretches when they when they have a lead or when they go on those scoring guts, I think is another thing that they've got to. I'm sure they're talking about trying to figure out how, but uh, the answers haven't been there yet. So some positive signs and look. They've lost a lot of ways this year. They've had great individual scoring outputs. They've had great rare moments of great defense. Um, I think this is the first time they've had a big, a big double-digit second-half lead and then lost it. So this team, this poor team, keeps finding new and cruel ways to lose. <laughs> at some point, if they play like they did at Ole Miss, I think they will find a way to get one on the win side. But it might be down to doing it at LSU, uh, maybe at Arkansas. But uh, those those two are the ones that look most ripe for a win, um, and Tennessee is uh, Tennessee's in a different place right now. Also, Ole Miss is playing with its back against the wall, so that's the other thing that Mizzou's up against now is teams that every team they play except for LSU and and Arkansas thinks it can be in the tournament or knows it will be, and they're kind of reaching that peak point of their season. We'll say Mizzou beat Tennessee twice last year. Granted. Different team. Different team. But <laughs> but there are enough guys on there that might remember. So nothing uh, nothing would shock me, and uh, Mizzou being in that game this Tuesday would not shock me. One other thing, you know, when talking about Gates lobbying one at the officials again, I, I do think we should note of the Tamar Bates three-pointer that it looked like was, was going to result in a made three and a foul after the shot that was going to put them at the line for two more possibly a five-point possession instead they call the foul before the shot so Bates goes to the line for a one-and-one and, one and, and misses the front end so you go Ben from potentially a five-point possession to an empty possession that I felt like and I think it was at the under eight in the second half that to me felt like a really critical juncture in the ball game and uh, it could have been the difference. I mean, you count that three, Mizzou wins the ball game, or at least ties it, and if he makes one of those free throws, it's uh, it, it goes the other way. So just another one of those uh, critical moments in the game. But you know what? I'm happy talking about a moment like that, Ben, because too often here these last few weeks, nothing like that would have even mattered. The Tigers were getting blown out. I, I really do feel like last night was a step in the right direction to where you set yourself up these last few weeks that there is something to play for. There is something to look forward to next year 
And I'm sorry, 0-18, the SEC would be embarrassing for these guys, and it would not be something fun to wear. Even one win, it takes that off the board. Maybe you find a way to win something in the conference tournament, maybe win a game. Positive momentum towards next year and and, and just getting this uh, this stigma bent off of this basketball team I, I think would really do wonders. And you got six chances to do it here in the regular season, then you'll have one guaranteed in the conference tournament. I, I still, yeah, last I checked, all the SEC teams made the conference tournament, so they'll have a, <laughs> they'll have a chance. I think I think Nashville's hosting this year a chance to uh, maybe maybe end the season on a higher note than where they're at right now. But um, they have to play like they did last night, and I, I think if they do, I think they're they 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 will run into a win if they play like they did last night the rest of the year. That 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 we've seen we've seen teams that have had long struggles over the course of the season. We've seen Mizzou teams go uh, go down there and find a way to figure it out or get one late in the year. So they, they're not rolling over. They're not checking out. And they got Sean East back, so um, they, they've got a shot. But they've got to uh, they've got to find a way to to stop finding new ways to lose and find a way to come out on the right side of something. And and that that's the thing. They've got to change the tide. When it when it starts to roll against them in a game, and if they can do that, then then to see these guys rewarded for their efforts and for their patience and just their their willingness to stick through this would be would be a nice moment for the team and and for the fans. Uh, and I think also, you know, this team needs whatever optimism on the court it can get. It's got a lot off it. it right. needs some on the court before this thing wraps up. That's our Tiger Tales here for this Sports Sunday morning. Brendan and Ben Fred with you. Blues lose yesterday, and it it feels like they're still hovering around. Are they contending? Or are they not contending? Ben, um, I, I, if he continues on this trajectory, what hopefully this season is known for, if it's not for maybe a late playoff run, which would be great, it is Ben ultimately going to be the emergence of Jake Neighbors, and I mean, isn't isn't that really uh, a great? hopefully stepping stone for this young man and not to say you didn't think this kid was going to be good but did you think he was going to be good this quick I don't know and the fact that he looks like uh, an elite potentially an elite goal scorer in this league is uh, I, I, I think something Blues fans can all really be fired up about and hopefully he continues on this trend for the next couple of months and again maybe the Blues stumble their way into a playoff spot they're hovering hovering around it right now yeah that disappointing loss to nashville there and and that wasn't the effort and the energy we've seen from them over this kind of the surge that started before the all-star break to drop that one at home to a team that just inched its postseason percentage playoff uh, projection above you that that's not ideal and i think that they're going to uh they're going to regret that one we're kind of waiting to see now if they come out of this a little bit of a return to earth they had the big winning streak before the all-star break they dropped the dud against columbus they came firing out of the break and now they've lost two out of the last three sandwich in between that was a very very encouraging 6-3 win against edmonton so there i think you you nailed it they're kind of trying to decide are they in are they out are they a team that that gives us something to talk about or are they just going to kind of flirt with the idea of it they've clearly played better than we than they were before the coaching change that's a credit to to drew banister and you mentioned neighbors he's been he's been the star of the show he's been you know we talk about mizzou wanting to see signs that uh 
you know, good news is coming soon. This guy's got this guy's got 26 points. Um, he's scoring um, right up there with uh, as many goals as Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Actually, those three players are tied for for the team lead, and he's coming on strong. And he plays he plays in a way that the Blues say, "Yeah, that's our identity. That's what we've been trying to get back to." Um, and their goalies have been outstanding, and that's something to really mention because. The one thing that can help you make up a lot of ground fast and the one thing that can have you win games in the playoffs if you get there um, that maybe you don't even deserve to win are your goalies. And I think both of the Blues goalies options, including, you know, you got to start with Jordan Bennington, but they've been outstanding this year and they haven't really wavered despite all the craziness that's going on with the team. No doubt about it. So uh, they continue this uh, homestand, which has uh, been a welcomed addition here to the schedule. And uh, again, they do drop one to Nashville late yesterday afternoon weird start time of four o'clock another headline to mention here ben and the cardinals are collecting these i don't want to call them accolades but uh they're getting a positive reinforcement from some of the early preseason power rankings uh power rankings espn has them at number 11 and around 85 wins which seems to be the going rate for the cardinals these days hey now don't short the texas rangers that Rangers are at 11th. The Cardinals are at 12. All so right, close enough. The Cardinals are the Cardinals are right there with the defending World Series champs. Yeah, there we go. That makes folks feel good or bad. They've ESPN's got uh, the Cardinals projected at 85.3 wins. It's always funny how you get the point three there, but that's right in line with what we've seen at Pocota, what we've seen from the Zips projections. Um, the Cardinals are projected to make the playoffs. Um, they're projected to um, have a slim, albeit some, but slim chance of perhaps competing for a World Series championship. Um, maybe fans are scoffing about that, but there is kind of a, uh, a very clear perception that the national view of what the Cardinals have done this offseason is more impressed than what the local view is. And I'm not saying either one is right or wrong. The truth is always probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but uh, the ESP is noting in their projections, their power rankings, that the Cardinals did shore up that rotation, although there's still some question marks there, um, and that they they, um, they they should be able to feel a pretty, pretty potent lineup. And I think you and I agree with that offensive part of it. So 85-ish wins doesn't sound like something to, you know, print the parade route for but then again you look around the national league central and it's not exactly a bunch of barn burners in this division right now well i don't know if they if they feel like we do about the offense and if, if the pitching is just marginally better and your offense this is key stays healthy i think this ball club is clearly the best in the national league unless unless other moves are made I think Milwaukee, you know, incredibly to me, they just seem like a, a group that is not uh, all that jazzed about uh, contending this year, which is fine. We'll see if they're able to stir up any of that Brewer magic. That's what they're going to have to do. And maybe it's ultimately the Reds and the Cardinals in this division. We'll, we'll see. But the, the other side of that coin, Ben, is if, if the pitching is just marginally better, I mean, how much better than is this ball club? Because they were dead last a season ago. So maybe that does get you up to 85 wins. That probably keeps the rest of the division in play. And it may come more of a coin toss to uh, actually winning the division. So 
I remember you don't play a unbalanced schedule anymore. You've got to play everybody in baseball. You illustrated it a couple of days ago. Cardinals' early portion of the schedule this season is going to be tough. So I, I think the offense needs to be maybe otherworldly for them to win the division comfortably. They probably got the personnel to do it, but I, I've got to. I've got to see it first, and I, I've got to see it uh, actually conjure up into into reality right now because it's it's merely projections at this point. And last season, still too fresh for me to go too crazy about what this team is capable of doing. But golly, I do love their offense. If uh, and they're young, if they stay on the field, they could uh, they could be one of the better offenses in the National League. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, and I would just say too, like the Cardinals can look at these projections and go, great. You know, everybody kind of sees this team the way we do. We, we, we should be have the upper end to win this division. And I would once again, and continue to challenge the Cardinals to say, okay, and then what? Because no one expects the team that wins this division to go into the playoffs as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a favorite. Now, again, we know how baseball's postseason works. You don't have to be the on paper favorite. But annually, if the team that leaves the National League Central is getting shoved back immediately, and that's what's happening <laughs> over the past few years, it's not just the Cardinals; it's the Brewers, it's, uh, it's the Cubs when they've when they've uh, been in their post World Series run. Um, if if annually, the team that is best in your division or the teams that are coming out of your division are pretty much immediately whacked in the postseason, maybe that's a sign that just just going to win the division isn't good enough anymore. I would add that to the to the topics because there are divisions um, that are that are more competitive at two and three, maybe even four, than what the National League Central could be at for number one this year. It's Ben Fredrickson, sports columnist, St. Louis Post Dispatch. Ben, what do you got cooking for the start of the week in the paper? Well, I've got a column about Roman Berkey, the City SC goalkeeper, and and why he is uh, someone who maybe defies the expectation of regression in year two and certainly is focused on the end of the season, not the beginning for this team. And our City SC season preview will be rolling out um, in this weekend's Post-Dispatch. Folks can find it if they're subscribers. It'll just drop in their driveway, or you can find it at gas stations or wherever you find a Post-Dispatch. But if you're looking forward to the start of soccer season, and I know a lot of our listeners appreciate all of our soccer coverage here on the Big 550, they can check that out also at stltoday.com. Ben, great stuff, buddy. We'll talk to you, I believe, at the earliest on Wednesday after basketball tomorrow with Tiger Talk in the Valley and then the Mizzou game Tuesday. We'll uh, yak at you on Wednesday. All right, man. I'll miss you until then. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. Have a great Sunday, everyone, here on the Big 550. and opinions expressed in the preceding paid program are those of the host, callers, and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this station, its management, or owners.